Welcome to the Terrible Writing Podcast, a podcast where I read bad stuff I wrote a long time ago, try to remember what the hell I was thinking, and give tips to help writers make their work a little less sucky. I'm your host, and my name is Marissa Gerasio. Today, I'm going to be reading you a short story that I wrote for a fiction writing class when I was 21. I don't want to give uh, too much away in the beginning, but let me just say it's really, really bad. One might even say terrible. All right. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it goes on forever and I'll just summarize the ending. But here it goes. I took a hard drag of my cigarette. Mmm, cancer sticks are delicious, I thought. I flicked it towards alumni gardens. Die, environment, I thought. Die, you greedy whores who suck the money from those who have graduated from your second-rate school only to plant a row of pansies. I'll admit it, I'm angry, although my ex-fiancé refers to it as bitter. I despise her elevated bullshit. It's a long way down once you climb this far up, I heard a very small voice say. I looked down. There, on the other side of the railing, was a little girl in a brown dress scaling the stairs outside Brimley Hall. On one foot, she wore a sneaker. On the other, a sandal. Oh, hi, I said. I don't like kids. One time in high school, I got this girl pregnant and I wanted to kill myself, but she got an abortion, so I didn't have to. The girl had brown ringlets and climbed even higher. She was nearly 20 feet off the ground. It's fun to climb so high, she said. Everything looks tiny. I looked around. Where were her parents? She now swung carelessly from one rung of the railing to another. She began to do a little tap dance with just one hand hanging on. Hey, you better watch out, I found myself crying out. I don't have to watch out, she said as she swung from side to side, offering a coy grin. Mommy doesn't make me. Now this kid was being a little shit. Your mommy doesn't make you watch out, I asked. She giggled as she climbed higher. No, mommy lets me do what I want. I was annoyed. That's why I hated kids. They never stopped saying nanny nanny boo boo to each other. I stopped. Was I just a kid to, to her? How old are you? I asked. She pulled one hand off the railing to hold up four fingers. How old are you? She asked. I held up two fingers on each hand. You're four too? She asked incredulously. No, you're lying. You're really, really big. I meant 22, I said, waving each two at her. I smiled. What was I doing? Where's your mommy? I asked. Mommy is playing with her friends right now, she said. Sad. Not watching you? No, she has to play with her friends right now. I was fed up. This kid was full of shit. Well, how about until your mommy's here, you play in the park over there? It's not safe on those big stairs. The park is no fun, she said. Yeah, it is. Come on. No, she exclaimed. That's when I found myself reaching over the railing and picking her up as she kicked and screamed. I carried her in my arms like you would carry bulky furniture up an awkward flight of stairs. An older lady looked on in the distance, shocked. She probably thinks I'm a pedophile, I thought. I subtly stuck my middle finger out from under the little girl's armpit, more for my own benefit than the lady's. I finally reached the playground out of breath. Kids are heavier than they look. I dropped her off at the jungle gym. I began to climb it. Look, I said, isn't this fun? The girl crossed her arms as she sat on the bottom rung. Not fun like the stairs, she said. I know, I said, but they're not safe and I have to go home now. So you promise you'll be good and not go back to the stairs? Fine. Okay, bye now, I said. 
Mister, she asked. Your arms are pretty. I picked up my pace as I replayed it in my head. My arms are pretty. What? I looked down at my arms. What? Oh, I thought, my tattoos. When I turned 18, I said fuck you to my mom when she told me she wouldn't pay for my college if I got a tattoo. And my tattoos became one of the biggest fuck yous I've ever gone through with. On either arm, I had entire intricate sleeves of tattoos. Parts of words, biblical scenes, foreign symbols, even maps covered my arms. My girlfriend demanded to know what they all meant. She wanted me to sit there and explain my arm inch by inch to her. I wasn't so taken aback. I'd probably be curious too. But after a few weeks, she became relentless. Tell me, she said through tears one day, tell me what they mean. I looked at my arm. It has to do with something from my childhood. I don't talk about it to anyone. Just tell me, she said. It's really personal. I don't care if it's personal, she had cried. My virginity, that was personal. I gave that to you. I tell you everything. I do everything for you. Why can't you tell me? I couldn't believe how worked up she was. You don't have to tell me everything, I said. She cried out in exasperation. Just stop, she said. Tell me now, or this is over. I paused. The tattoos didn't mean anything. They were just designs. I looked at her. Mascara was running down her face. I guess it's over, I said. As I shut the door, something hit it and shattered. I recounted my actions. The sex had been great. She wasn't a terrible girl, either. But I decided I'd rather be single than meaningless. There are several people at this school that I would love to never see again. That ex-girlfriend is definitely one of them. There's also this guy who sold me weed my first year here. He really ripped me off and I tried to fight him, but he ended up punching me to the ground, much to the enjoyment of the rest of his frat. Another's my high school girlfriend who I got pregnant, Nicole. I never went with her to the clinic, and I think she wants me to die. She got really weird after all that went down and unfortunately decided to come to state too. She started hanging around Sigma Kappa, which is full of guys who do lines of coke off their textbooks at parties. I guess she does it too because her eyes have sunken in completely and her legs are nothing but bones. And then there's my ex-fiance, but I don't even let myself think about her. I've joked to myself many times that I'd really like to fill a minivan with people from this school that I hate running into and just ship them away. Just drive it off the face of the earth. All right. Well, it goes on like that for a while. Um, but to sum it up and not to totally bore you and confuse you, um, this story had many, many subplots. Way too many for a six-page story. Um, but basically, his life sucks, and I want you to know that it sucks in every single way. That is what my purpose for writing this was. Um, his ex-fiance continues to need his help. Her car breaks down, all these different things. I know this is getting confusing because there's so many like former lovers. There's like his high school girlfriend. There's like this other girlfriend. There's this ex-fiance. And yeah, that's also a problem. Way too many characters for a six-page story. But I had like a lot to say at the moment. And I just tried to convert everything in my life to like a million different characters. Um... So his ex-fiance moved on and she now dates a woman and he has really less than nice things to say about that. As you might imagine, he hates his college. He hates his living situation. There's these horrible bros everywhere that he lives with that are all around him. I don't really know why he has to live with them. I don't know if I ever explained that. Um, 
his school is not a very intellectual school. He just kind of feels stuck there. Ultimately, this kind of kid, it's kind of unbelievable that he'd even be this far in school uh, at age 22. You know, it sounds like he's been going to school for a while, but the way that he has this really negative attitude about everything, he kind of sounds more like somebody who would drop out of school, to be honest. Okay, so it all hinged on the little Easter egg that I had given you. And this was a big problem with my writing in college in general. It was twist central. We're going to get to that in a second. But remember the line about uh, the girl, the high school girlfriend who got the abortion, but he didn't go to the clinic with her? Yeah, well, spoiler alert, she didn't really get an abortion. How did that even work? I don't know. I guess we're supposed to believe this guy is so clueless that he did not see this girl for nine entire months. Anyway, as the story goes on, he keeps crossing paths with the little girl that was climbing this dangerous staircase in the beginning. And guess who the little girl really is? I mean, you, you, you probably already know. Ultimately, he witnesses a hit and run where the little girl gets killed. He takes her to the hospital, but she's already dead. And his ex, the one who turns into a cokehead, rushes in and they call the name of the little girl. And guess what? Her first name is the same as his first name, which is Peyton. Ah, I really spent some time thinking of some confusingly gender neutral names. And then it ends with his ex like collapsing in his arms. And I don't really know what we're supposed to make of that. But yeah, I was going through a lot at the time. I had a lot of anger. But anyway, to go through what was wrong with the writing here, I had this notion that good writing needed to have a surprising twist. I still struggle with this. Sometimes with short stories, especially some of the short stories I had read in school, people like O. Henry, really show you that a big twist can be really powerful. But not everyone, especially not a 21-year-old who sucks at writing, can pull off a twist and not make it either really obvious or really like, huh, where did that even come from? Um, you don't want your reader to feel like they've been like cheated or lied to in some way. The twist in this story is devastating. This character seems to only have negative things ever happen to him, uh, which was what I was trying to say about the world at the time. This would be a good time to bring up that my life at the time was less than ideal, like I had mentioned before. I had just gone through a bad breakup where there was some cheating and my whole little 21-year-old world had been turned upside down because how could someone ever cheat on me? How could they pull that off, right? And I was especially, especially angry because I like feel like this is a thing that doesn't even happen, but it did to me. My ex's new partner had quit school and decided to move in with my ex and me. So I was in this crazy living situation. I decided to move out. I was kind of crashing on couches at the time. And this brings me to my next point. This story was all about how mad I was at the world at that time. I felt like the world had been really unfair to me, 
So I was going to write a story about the world being really unfair to somebody else. I think some people can pull off a character who hates everything. I think lots and lots of us grew up reading about Holden Caulfield and just loving his negativity and hatred. But for all of his anger, there are some contradictions. There are some moments where he says something that proves to us, oh, wait, you said you don't care about anything, but you really do care. You know, you observed these details about these different people, and that shows that you really do have friends and you really do listen when people talk to you. Furthermore, we get a really good reason for his anger. Um, he's really upset about the death of his brother. And some of his negativity, some of his sweeping statements about, you know, like football games are dumb and, you know, when kids get together, they do these mean things. These are things that are pretty universally relatable. This story about this character who has like a million different exes and issues and he's got all these tattoos for no reason. I don't really think that that is relatable to anybody. Um, it's, it's one note anger and that's all there is. And I don't offer any other perspectives or any other little glimmers of something else. I guess at the time I probably thought him chumming it up with this little girl offered a different side of him. However, the girl only exists for her to die and be tragic later on. So I don't really know what usefulness she brings to the equation. After I wrote this, I uh, this is the only reason I was even able to find it because I don't have any of my old computers or hard drives. I had sent it in an email to my dear friend Beatrice, who I am so thankful for because I have sent her so much of my terrible shit over the years and she's always been very encouraging. But one thing she did say to me, she was like, this is good but he kind of sounds like a 30-year-old man, not a college kid. And I love that because it wasn't good. That was really nice of her to say it was good. She knew that I was going through a really hard time and wasn't going to kick me when I was down. But she's right. This sounds like a very bitter man, not like a kid. He sounds like he's got anger that's been just going on for decades and decades. So um, good point. And now that I've been around more 30-year-old men, I think, I think she was onto something there, even though we were much younger than that at the time. I guess my, my last point that I want to make about why this is bad writing goes to a concept called kitsch. And the only reason I know about this is because I took this really interesting class when I was in college called Films Under Fascism. I cannot recall the name of the professor, but she was so cool. She she kind of looked like Nico Case. She had shockingly red hair and wore like leather all the time. She was a badass. And um, she taught us about kitsch. She taught us that it was exaggerated sentimentality and melodrama just for the sake of emotional manipulation. And since we were learning about films under fascism, you know, people like Lenny Riefenstahl used these kinds of tactics in her movies to try to, to get people uh, to side with fascism. So there would be scenes like a blonde toddler is crying as they took his parents away very 
crazy sad just for the sake of being sad kind of things. So I kind of had to take a step back and think kitsch operates in more areas of life than I would even give it credit for. I am currently training for a half marathon. Woohoo! Yeah, super exciting. But on a run recently, I was listening to The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me, which is an album by Brand New. It's their third album. And their first two albums, they um, really drove into the ground the topics of depression and mistreating women. Yes, I know all about Jesse Lacey. You don't need to tell me. Um, but, you know, I still listen to Brand New, even though I know they did bad things. I, I have a hard time reconciling the difference between people and their art. I'll be totally honest about that. I was sort of scared to listen to this song, Limousine, now that I'm a mom. Uh, it was based on a local news story about someone in a wedding party who got really drunk and decided to drive and ended up hitting and killing the flower girl. So that is really, really fucking sad. And, I, you know, I have a little girl, so I didn't think I really wanted to hear all that. But then as I was listening, I was like, you know, now that I'm a little bit older and I have a little bit more distance for my teenage blind love for this band... This song is nothing but kitsch. It is a storyline that just exists for the sake of making the listener feel sad. The band members had no real emotional connection to this story. They're just like, oh, we're going to make you so fucking sad with this one. And I also thought about, uh, I always give my students this assignment where I have them write a friendly letter to introduce themselves to me. Um, when I was teaching in Nashville, I taught ninth grade. And I explained explain the assignment to my students, and this one kid looked at me, and he said, I'm going to make mine so sad. And I just remember being like, what? Like, I thought maybe he had a sense of humor about having a hard life or something like that. And he wrote this really sad thing about losing his mom. And later in the year, I met his mom. <laughs> So it was true emotional manipulation. I honestly think that he might have thought, I'm going to present myself as this tragic character, and then you'll have to be nice to me and give me good grades. I really think that's what he thought. This kind of emotional manipulation is why I think This Is Us is like the worst show on television. You know, on social media, people are like, oh, the last episode of This Is Us made me cry. No duh, it made you cry. The show was meant with making you cry in mind as the end result. So my story, oh, the sweet little girl, she's the only good thing in his life. And guess what? She dies. I was trying to make you sad and it was stupid. I don't, I don't really think that, that anyone would read it and really get sad. They would just be like, oh, this 21-year-old is really trying to work some stuff out with her fiction. Yikes. So recapping the, um, the issues with this story as advice. A, too many subplots for a short story. I recommend if you're writing a short story, especially of this length, there's like one big thing that's going on and one little thing that goes on. So there's like a little thing, maybe it's representative of a bigger thing, but... We, we can't have like four big things. There's just too much. Twists. Don't make a twist for the sake of a twist. This summer I read, actually I listened to rather, because that's what I do sometimes. 
I listened to The Couple Next Door and that was insane shit. But it was twist after twist after twist. And just when I thought that I had a handle on what was really going on, there was another twist. But it was not interesting. It, I just at a certain point was laughing out loud at how bad this, how badly written it was. I wish that I could write something full of twists and have it be a bestseller like that. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. My third piece of advice to you, your, your I'm really mad at the world stories. We don't want to hear them. If you go through a terrible breakup, it's probably not a great time to write fiction. You're going to write some pretty predictably, eh, my worldview is that everything is terrible and everything's not terrible. Just like give it a couple of weeks, you know, like meet someone new and forget it even happened. And then finally, avoid kitsch. Do not say to your teacher, I'm going to make this really sad um, because later on she'll meet your mom and realize your mom is not dead. All right. Thank you very much. I hope that you enjoyed this and got some good advice and happy writing.